Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Riff. My name is Lauren, and today I'm joined by Cameron. Hi, how are you, Cameron? Good, thanks, Lauren. How are you? Yeah, good, good. I hope everyone's staying safe in the bushfires. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad out there. Hopefully, all our listeners are taking care of themselves. and Everyone's uh, staying safe. That's yeah. right, yeah. But anyways, today we are talking about a very interesting topic. Um, we're talking about gender dysphoria and how that comes through the family courts. Yes, and I think, Lauren, the first question that we have to, or has to be asked is, what is gender dysphoria? So, gender dysphoria is a psychiatric condition. It essentially is a state of conflict between a person's physical or assigned gender from birth and the gender with which they identify. Um, It can manifest in uncomfortable feelings, um, conforming to gender stereotypes, specifically things such as clothing or behavioral roles or things like this it can create things such as distress or um, inability to function on a day-to-day basis and and things such as that so in a nutshell lauren it's really when a man identifies as a woman or a woman identifies as a man that's the most common case is that yeah right? that's yeah. the most and that's what people generally understand to be gender dysphoria there is a whole other spectrum of people not identifying as any gender or things like that but for the purposes of this podcast we'll be looking specifically at um, men identifying as women or women identifying as men yep and from just the general community opinion out there there's a lot more awareness of the issue yeah so there's a lot more awareness and a lot more openness about the topic and people are discussing it a lot more openly with a lot more acceptance comparative to how it used to be that's correct and we're seeing a lot more court cases about gender dysphoria today aren't we Yes, so there is a lot more cases coming through the family court specifically relating to this issue. But I mean, on in that in that same vein, there is a lot more medical options. There is a lot more um, psychiatric treatment. So there's a lot more exposure in all areas of life. But for us as a lawyer and um, for a legal podcast, yes, there is much more exposure to the family courts. I can't imagine there was many cases run like this 50 years ago. No, no. So the first way that this topic, I shall say, has come to the courts in any sense um, is regarding the question of parental responsibility. So whether a parent can make a decision for their child who is um, diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So can a parent make a decision for their child to go and get medical treatment for this diagnosis? By that you mean we're talking about what happens when a child identifies as another gender. So if somebody's over the age of 18, if that's correct, uh, they can make their own decision as to exactly. whether or not they go through medical procedures, medicine, Get treatment, treatment or yeah, all stuff the like rest. that. So, for instance, let's use an example. So, say for instance, I had a child who was a nine-year-old girl, and she came up to me and she said, "Look, Cameron, I'm starting to identify as a man. I would like to undergo treatment to become a man." I mean, it's weird that your kid's calling you Cameron. <laughs> I didn't want to say daddy, but yeah. <laughs> Yes. So it's whether or not you as a parent um, can make the decision for your child to go and seek treatment. I think it's important um, to have a quick discussion about what treatment is um, because there's a bit of a misconception there, isn't there? There is. There is. And I mean, 
some people disagree with the language of treatment or anything like that. So it might be worth just noting that, of course, in no way, shape or form do we at all mean any offence to the transgender community or anything like that. Um, We're avid supporters of the community. Um, But for the purposes of of explaining what medical intervention there is for um, a child that is going through going through um, gender dysphoria, there's generally three stages that are understood by the courts and generally by the medical profession, although not being doctors, I'm sure there's a much more... Technical. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But the first stage um, is about delaying the onset of puberty for a child. So if a child comes... So your example, um, your daughter comes to you and says... I identify as a boy and you go, okay, well, you're nine, so you haven't started to go through puberty. Let's get you some um, psychiatric assistance to see if this is what's going on. And then it starts to get to the age where your daughter will start to show... She's entering womanhood. Exactly. Yep. Um, So the first stage is to delay the onset of puberty. Yep. So I kind of think of it when I was reading through this like a hormone blocker. Exactly. That's exactly what it's known as. It's colloquially known as a hormone blocker. So it stops the production of all the natural natural chemicals that come through the body and um, take your daughter into womanhood in this example. Um, So, but for that to happen first, though, they have to undergo counselling. That's right. Yes. So, so it can't just be a decision we make. No, you can't pop to your GP. Lazy Sunday afternoon. No, exactly. So, it's a very, it's a very intricate process. I think that's the first misconception. It is. It is. I I think that there's this perception that people can just one day decide that they're going to do that. It's not in any way, shape, or form like that, especially when you're talking about a child. Yeah. so there will have to be psychiatric intervention, um, some treatment, and also because I think it's accepted very globally that a child who is identifying as different to what the gender they're born into would be a very confronting experience of and course. would be very difficult to sort of process. We can't even imagine. So. No, exactly. But going forward, if stage one has um, continued and Obviously, you can't stop the body's natural process forever. Yep. But the second stage is the introduction of the alternative hormone. So in this example, um, your daughter being transitioning in, into being your son, yep. um, the hormone blockers would occur, but then there would be an introduction of testosterone um, and therefore that would then create sort of your more physical symptoms. Yep, right. Um, The third stage is your surgical interventions or your sort of bigger spectrum things. But the courts don't really see that um, coming to them because that generally occurs when they're a lot older and parental responsibility isn't an issue there. That's right. So the surgery would only happen if the child was over 18. Generally speaking, yeah. 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 Um, So the stage that we usually get involved as lawyers is stage two. Generally, generally there is... um, some scope for lawyers to be involved in stage one. Yep. Um, it's probably best to give a bit of an explanation as to how these cases actually came towards the court so um, our listeners can understand what the actual issue is that the court has to determine. Yep. So the very first case that brought this type of issue to the court is, is a very, very old case called Marion's case. Mm-hmm. 
And it was where parents were caring for their severely disabled child and wanted to seek for the child to be sterilised to assist in the care of their child. But the courts had to determine whether the parents could make that decision for their daughter um, because it was something that was going to obviously affect their daughter. For the rest of her life. Exactly, exactly. So uh, the courts determined that no, the parents couldn't make that decision. Um, But going forward, where this issue of parental responsibility and the scope of parental responsibility um, has really come into play in this area of law. Yep. Um, The current state of play with respect of gender dysphoria um, is a case, um, it's known as Kelvin's case. Yep. And basically what this says is if both parents are in agreement and saying, yes, um, we want our child to have medical intervention of both stage one and stage two, um, stage one, you don't need court approval. You don't even need to approach the court. So you just have to have the child being approved by the doctors. Approved by the psychiatrist. Exactly. And then you can start those hormone blockers. Exactly. Everyone's yep. on board and it's safe and it's and the child's protected. And I think the reason for that is because if the child does change their mind, it is reversible. At exactly. That stage. Exactly. And there's there's no real medical implications for delaying puberty. Yep. Um, I mean obviously there's some medical in, medical issues with respect of giving any child medication. Of course but there's no long-term side effects that you'd have to be concerned about that that we're aware of yep so kelvin really came out and said that if the child understands what they're going through and the parents both agree along with the medical practitioners and psychiatrist stage two can be entered into when the child's under 18 correct correct and i think um there's you've mentioned something very important there that if the child understands so that's actually another very important legal principle called gillick competency yep which is essentially that the child has to be determined to have a greater understanding than um, any standard child and i mean realistically when we're talking about children who have obviously been engaged in medical practitioners for a long long time mm-hmm. they probably have a very deep understanding of what it is that they're yep. experiencing with this diagnosis however if the medical practitioners state that the child isn't competent and doesn't have this level of gillick competency then they require the court's approval to commence stage two, which again is the introduction of the alternative hormone. Yep. So we as lawyers will come in at that point and make the application to the court to have stage two approved. Yep, because it just needs that final tick of approval. Exactly, exactly. Everybody needs to make sure that it's the, the right choice for the child and that all the evidence is taken into account. Yep. The other way that lawyers become involved is if the parents don't agree. Mm-hmm. And this this happens in many different circumstances. Family dynamics are very broad and different. Mm. And I can imagine it could be religious, cultural, whatever. Exactly, exactly. And you know, as much as this is a much more accepted topic, it's we don't have acceptance across the board. Yep. Um, so this can occur, and it'd be a very, very confronting thing for any parent to experience. Um, so if the parents don't consent. Yep then it is required for the matter to come before the court for the court to determine. And this can happen at any stage, so stage one, stage two. If there is no consent, then it has to be determined by the court. Yeah. 
and the court will take into account all these factors that we've spoken about here. Exactly. But the main one they look at is this Gillick principle, which is does the child understand what they're going through? And to make sure that it's in the best interest of the child. So they'll take into account the medical evidence. Um, There has to be a number of medical professionals that provide evidence to the court, including psychiatrists. Um, you know, pediatricians. And that's the like rest. the big overarching principle of the family court in not just this area, but every area. It's exactly. the child comes first almost. Exactly. Yeah. So the main thing that family lawyers know is that the family court has to, at all times, make orders that are in the best interest of the child. Yeah. So although it may be differing views of parents, they have to determine what's in the child's best interest. Yeah. So from what you're saying, every case I imagine would be different. Exactly, exactly. Every family's different, every child's different. And when it comes to these matters, it's such a serious decision for the court to make that it's often a matter that parents will have to engage with lawyers for a long, long time to ensure that all the evidence is put before the court. So we as lawyers can come into play in this situation in many different forms. So we can work for either parent if they're oppositional. Yep, or the child. Exactly, exactly. So we can be independent children's lawyers where we solely represent the views of the child. Yep. Um, Or we can represent the parents collectively. So this is in the event that the child's not found to be competent. Mm -hmm. Then we can represent both parents and bring in the application to the court. So I think that's another common misconception, Lauren, is that people think that lawyers only get involved if there's a fight. But we play a very important role in helping the court make a decision on this issue. Exactly. So, I mean, I think it's a misconception that lawyers are required in this area of law at all um, or that it even is an area of law. And I think for any listeners out there who may know somebody or are going through this process with their child, it's it's very much worth coming and having a chat with us and having the discussion about what legal considerations should be taken into account if your child is going through this process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that pretty much wraps up the discussion about gender dysphoria. There's a lot more intricacies and things like that. But that's more for us lawyers to fight out about isn't it (laughs) exactly exactly and because every matter is so different um the the intricacies can be applied in many different ways but i mean generally speaking that kind of wraps up how gender dysphoria can come through the courts so and we're getting to a stage where more and more people are recognizing gender dysphoria which can only be a good thing exactly. for the people going through this. There's much more acceptance in the community. It's it's there's much it's seen much more often. Yep. And it's it's discussed about more openly, which is great. And I mean, on that note, if anybody um, needs assistance or wants to get some information or advice, you know, contact our firm. I'm more than willing to have a. We're always discussion. here to have a chat and exactly. help out if we can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But. I mean, I think that pretty much wraps it up for yeah, today. I think it does, Lauren. No, that was um, a very interesting topic that I can say that I didn't know much about until I did the research with you for this podcast. So thank you for bringing it to light. And Lauren here takes care of all our family family law matters. So if you do have a problem, she's the person to turn to. Exactly. Always happy to help. And as always, thank you all for listening. And if you're liking the podcast, please go to our Facebook page at Adams Lawyers or Adams and Partners Lawyers if you type that into uh, Facebook at the search bar or check out our website at www.adamslawyers.com.au. 
Uh, and we'll be back soon with another entertaining and exciting legal podcast. Yes, and if anybody has any ideas or thoughts or things they want to know about, feel free to send us a message. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. Of course. So thank you for joining me today, Lauren. Of course. Thanks for having me. And we'll speak to you all soon. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.